Hello Podcast Collective Consciousness. I hope all is well in your world. This is the Reconsider Simon Podcast. In this audio space, I'll explore consciousness, ufology, high strangeness, the esoteric, spirituality, even the very essence of reality itself. Journal entry number one. Hello, welcome back. So uh, today I'm going to do something slightly different. Um, All the other previous podcasts have relied on me researching particular topics like deep dives into certain areas. Um, But going forward, we're going to have another type of format, I think, where it's going to be a journal, just a loose journal of my experiences. Um, So yeah, this is going to be number one of that journal series. And it's just going to look at maybe potentially books that I've read, you know, or reading at that particular time, videos I've watched, you know, life experiences of I've had, news articles, um, and just you know, just kind of a supplement all the other work that I've been doing. Because um, as I've found a lot of the time when I'm kind of reading books or watching, them, it's all very synchronistic. Certain kind of topics unfold and they all kind of interlink, which I always find quite interesting. So yeah. That's going to be the general gist of what these audio pieces are about. So in journal entry one, um, I'm going to be looking at and discussing briefly the energy grid, the earth energy grid. There's a a book by Bruce Cathy that I'm reading at the moment. Uh, Also a smaller book as well called The Art, sorry, The War of Art, Break Through the Blocks and Win Your Creative Battles. And again, this book's come at the right time as well, specifically because of all the work I've been doing reconsider Simon in terms of like podcasting, potentially writing more articles as well. So I found this book quite helpful. Uh, and that was written by Stephen Pressfield. Uh, another one that I'm really looking forward to reading, which um, kind of ties into a whole earth energies and, and then kind of the health of the human body. Again, this has been quite a steady topic. I've discussed quite a, quite a length in various podcasts so far, just due to my own experiences over these last few years. Uh, and that book's, one of the books is called The Vax's Connection, Healing Through Earth Energies. And that's by Judy Jacker. And uh, she's died now, unfortunately. But yeah, she's based in Australia. And uh, there was another one uh, video that I was listening and watching while I was working on my kind of day job uh, involving Bruce McDonald and Carleen Tamick. And she's called The Sacred Technician. And the title of their video was Getting Out of the Assimilation and and Bruce McDonald is, a, is, a, is an author and he discussed his recent book, Devil and Us, Manipulation, Humanity, Possession and Demonology. Uh, and I found this really, really interesting. It's quite a dark topic, but I think it's quite a good thing to kind of look into. Another series of videos I was, you know, watching and listening while I was doing my day job was uh, by Megalithomania in the UK. Um, they're an alternative archaeology uh, organisation. They organise... Um, conferences every year i think they generally tend to be in glastonbury uh i keep meaning to go to them but i haven't managed to go there yet but they've got a really good youtube channel and it's got like a series of the videos that they've kind of recorded at some of these events and other events as well it seems that one of the main kind of uh, sort of organizers of the megalithomania uh organization is hugh newman and he's written traditionally about giants and other areas but he's quite well known for his his books and research into giants that are found all over the world. Uh, they also do tours to ancient sites as well. Uh, so I think you can join those as well. So yeah, it's quite a varied uh, level of activity these guys are involved in. Um, but some of the videos I watched to do with them uh, was one by the late Hamish Miller, 
he was talking about the Fountain International, which again I've spoken about in this podcast, and it's a originally was a Brighton group and involved people joining hands around this fountain around the old Steen, and the old Steen is reportedly a potential old stone circle. You can kind of see the stones in the fountain itself. And the whole idea was to, they deem this a very energetic point. And so having people gather there, holding hands all together in harmony, and then just focusing, you know, love and harmony into this energetic state to then affect the local surrounding area. So that was kind of the, how the, you know, the Fountain International organization was set up. Uh, I think they're not, not as active as they used to be. They seem to still have a little bit of a presence, but yeah, it was just, it was one of the first talks I've ever heard from Hamish Miller, actually. And he's, I think he's quite a prolific figure, especially in the dowsing community as well. So yeah, it was, it was quite a good video to watch. Another one from those guys was called the titled The Royal Family, Secret Rulers and Ancient Patterns on the Landscape. And that was more of a recent one. And that was a presentation by Robin Heath as well. So it was a lot to do with like the royal family and specifically geometry across the United Kingdom and some of these power spots in terms of London, Edinburgh and Cardiff, all the, the political centres of the various sort of countries within the United Kingdom. And there seem, seems to be a very sort of a recurring pattern in terms of triangle pattern with these power centres. And that, I thought that was a really interesting theory and a really interesting kind of watch and listen as well. So I really recommend that. Um, then on the more stranger side of things, um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's in North Wales. There's a, a news article that was released in sort of mid-January. I think it's Clochinoch Forest in North Wales and involved in this strange cryptid being. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's, talk about that news article. And that then kind of feeds into, I was talking to a member of my family the other day about an area called uh, Canuck Chase, and that was another mysterious forest, and that's based in Staffordshire, and there's a lot of high strangers that occurs around there as well. So these are kind of potential places I might want to visit because at the moment I'm in Chester, so they're relatively close by to kind of take a look. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there's a, a forest, another forest that's kind of close by to here that I spent many you know hours of my childhood walking around is Delamere Forest as well. And it's just sort of made me relook at some of these places, you know, what been going on there in terms of like high strangers it turns out there is a few little bits of activity through a few stories concerning Delamere Forest which I found was quite interesting and then Chester being quite an ancient town um you know quite well known to to, to being a walled city like a Roman walled city and there's lots of Roman activity that was here and an area that I'd never even known about before when I was a child it's called the Minerva statue and it's quite close to the River Dee uh, and this is the, the it's a Roman goddess, that, and she's the goddess of wisdom, war, art, schools, justice, and commerce, which to me is like, she has a, lot, a big job on her hands because she seems to be taking care of everything. But that was a particularly interesting spot that I'd never heard of before. And it seemed to be quite energetic when I went there as well. So yeah, going to talk about that. So the first book that I'm reading, uh, for me, like reading, sometimes it depends on like how the book is written, how quickly I devour it. If it's written in the first person, they can be quite simple, so I can sort of read it quite quickly. So this one's sort of taking a little bit more time than usual, especially when it starts to have loads of numbers in it, which this book does, and that just seems to kind of make my brain melt, and I try and understand, but yeah, sometimes when people start bringing mathematics into the equation, I don't really understand, and it sort of slows me down a lot. I try to understand it, but I just, yeah, there's just something with me in numbers, it just doesn't compute um but yeah this is the the energy grids and it's quite a well-known book and by bruce cathy 
And um, he was inspired a lot by his own UFO experiences and some research by uh, a French ufologist called, I think it's Amy Michel uh, in the 1950s. And he started to realize that UFOs seem to be traveling along straight lines and between specific waypoints. So there they appear to be some kind of pattern. So uh, Bruce Cathy was actually a, a pilot based in New Zealand. And so, yeah, he had a few experiences and just wanted to document his own UFO sightings, essentially. And he started to draw flight paths and, and, and he just started to see a pattern. Um, so there'd be various sightings within New Zealand and through that he could then plot the points where these UFOs were seen. And he started to kind of agree with the other research from this ufologist to see that, yeah, these UFOs are, they are traveling in a straight line for some particular reason. So the first section of his, I mean, bearing in mind we're only halfway through this book at the moment, so there might be more to come. But yeah, he started to really confirm that, you know, these UFOs were, you know, moving in a straight line. Um, but he was also then able to predict UFO sightings and locations due to the mathematics that he was devising. He could actually predict where UFOs and sightings actually occurred. Uh, another aspect to this as well, he started to notice aerials, man-made aerials, you know, in terms of like radio aerials, uh, positioned in very energetic points. And they seem to coincide a lot of the time with some of these UFO flight points. Um, and a lot of the data he was getting was through his own research, but also he was talking to other pilots, other people within the airline industry within New Zealand. Uh, and they were quite interested in this topic and they were given their own experiences and their own data. So he's in quite a unique position to kind of gather all this information up. So not only was he pinpointing where these UFOs were being sighted, he was also starting to pinpoint these aerials and they all seemed to follow similar designs, similar shapes. And he started to see there's actually evidence that these aerials uh, were part of some organization that was maybe tracking these energetic points, maybe tracking this UFO activity. So it wasn't only him that actually noticed it. People have devised technology to kind of read and and scientifically understand what's going on even more fantastically he was getting reports that there were explosions involving some of these aerials and also ufo activity and it seemed like to him that the ufos were actually causing the explosions whether they were trying to eliminate these aerials in some way not particularly sure but that was what he was alluding to in the book but as he continued to collect this data he started to understand that there is a particular force that obviously understands this grid that covers the earth as well. And some of these uh, energetic points seem to correlate with military bases as well. And these were military bases that weren't run, run by the New Zealand government or the military and actually were more linked to the US military as well. So it just seemed that this earth grid uh, system seemed to be understood by the American military but then also they seem to be administrating the whole thing with these particular aerials and they, they were the driving force with this, you know, radio technology, whatever it was. And so you can kind of look at the American military. Obviously, they have bases all over the world with some kind of occupying force when, you know, the New Zealand government really doesn't have a hand in this at all. Another area of Bruce's research looked into nuclear weaponry as well. And he started to see a huge correlation between this energetic grid that spanned the earth and the releasing of nuclear weaponry, whether for offensive purposes or for purely for testing. And, and he claimed that he could predict some of these testing sites and predict when nuclear weapons were going to be used. 
And, and it very much also had equations relating to when they could within time as well. So it had to be specific days and, and specific hours. Otherwise, the nuclear bombs wouldn't work. And he was started to think that nuclear bombs worked on a sort of, sort of geometry. And if the geometry wasn't there, then they wouldn't work correctly. So this is why they had to be dropped in very specific areas, and which is why he was able then to predict some of these testing sites. I mean, I have no idea if this is true or not. Again, mere mathematics, not very good, but he seemed really convinced about this. Uh, and this would be a whole area of nuclear you know, technology that we just don't understand in the mainstream or is kept silent from us. This idea that nuclear war or nuclear bombs only really work on very specific energetic points, but then also on particular days and particular hours, minutes. You know, they, you can't just drop a bomb whenever you want. It has to be mathematically figured out initially. So yeah, that's quite a wild revelation. Um, again, not sure if it's true or not, but yeah, really fascinating to think about. Another book that I'm reading at the moment, which is more of a palate cleanser. It's quite easy to read. It's quite short. Um, it's written really well. It's The War of Art, Break Through the Blocks and Win Your Inner Creative Battles. And that's written by Stephen Pressfield. He's an American author. He's around about 80 years old now. He's still alive. Um, but he's written a, a wide span of different things from historical fiction to nonfiction, to screenplays, and obviously also books as well. Uh, within this book, he really talks about the resistance, the force that tries to stop you from writing. But it can be anything, not just writing. It can be art. It could be poetry. You know, whatever creatively you're involved in, you're trying to fulfill. It's this force that tries to put you off from doing it, <laughs> you know, to sit down and actually do it. You know, we all, I suffer from it. And it's that thing, oh, I'll do, do it tomorrow. I'm tired. I mean, especially if you've worked the whole day on a different thing, like a day job like I do, to sort of then in the evening then continue to sit there and do more, more work is quite a challenge. Uh, and it's always very easy to say, oh, I'll just watch YouTube or I'll watch Netflix. It's that, it's that resistant force that tries to prevent you from fulfilling what you need to do. So throughout the books, he weaves some of his own stories, tips, you know, things that he's discovered over the years. It's actually quite useful. I thought it might be written from more of a normie perspective, like a mainstream perspective. But actually, as I kind of got deeper into the book, he starts to discuss some quite esoteric ideas in terms of like, where does some of these creative ideas come from? Uh, and that's something that really fascinates me as well, like how some of these creative ideas from books or films, you know, do they actually come from the person itself? Is it some other kind of positive force, entity, God, source, whatever you want to call it? Uh, or is it from someone's, you know, inner divine self, their higher self, their future self? You know, who knows? Is it angels? Uh, yeah, but he alludes a lot to this in, in that book as well. Uh, and then on the opposite side of that, he sort of looks at some of the negative forces that tries to prevent you from fulfilling your creative fulfillment as well. So, yeah, it kind of captured my imagination because he really did look at the whole creative process quite ex extensively. Well, the book has very short chapters in it. Uh, some can be as long as like maybe two or three pages. Uh, some can be just like a paragraph. Uh, so I'd like to read you just one paragraph. And this is titled Resistance Can Be Beaten. And it goes like this. If resistance cannot be beaten, there would be no Fifth Symphony, no Romeo and Juliet, no Golden Gate Bridge. Defeating resistance is like giving birth. It seems absolutely impossible until you remember that women have been pulling it off successfully with support and without for 50 million years. 
there you go. But yeah, as I said, it's a good little book. I'm, I'm glad I'm reading it and uh, I highly recommend it. What I will do actually, I'll, I'll put a lot of the links to the, some of these books and videos in the description. So yeah, you'll be able to kind of follow up if you want to, if you want to buy it yourself and have a look. Um, now moving on from the world of books into the world of news, uh, local news specifically. Uh, this article stood out a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't seen before. I uh, can't remember where I first saw it. Maybe it was on Twitter, um, but it's from the North Wales Pioneer, that well-known publication. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of local news has been consolidated now and they've all, there seems to be various websites that have different names, but they're all essentially drawing from the same source. So I found this article on various other ones. Um, so yeah, but yeah, it seems yeah an interesting situation. I'll start with it goes, a dog walker says they were left feeling uneasy following a creepy experience in Clochinoff Forest. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. This is kind of Welsh language here. Um, I'm not the best at it. Um, I did practice beforehand just to get it right, but who knows how I'm saying it, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, a resident was walking in the huge conifer forest near Rothing on Tuesday, January the 9th, when they heard strange noises. They said it was only after they got a bit louder that I thought to turn my phone flash on. Thankfully, I managed to snap a picture. The thing was following me around the woods for best part of 45 minutes. I shouted out to it and it just crawled away at some speed. It looked something like a person, but was also completely nude. It was one or two degrees that night. The resident is urging others to be vigilant. He went on to say, I've advised my family and children not to go near the woods, they said. I lo I'm looking into reporting it to the local police. I either encountered something or someone. What is it? Was it someone playing a prank on the walker? Is it a hoax or is it something else? Question mark. So that's the end of the article written by the North Wales pioneer. Um, yeah, the story sounds quite fascinating, doesn't it? Um, the crazy bit of it, they've posted a photo of the image of this being as well with a news article and just describing it. It's, you know, taken at night time. Uh, what I did find fascinating, there's like a bright white orb in the top left-hand corner of the, of the image. And that could have been anything, could have been reflection from something. But you do tend to get a lot of uh, illuminated orbs in areas of high strangers where something quite energetic is happening. Uh, so it could be that. Um, but then more in the right hand of the photo, in the distance, in the darkness, it is a little bit hard to see. Uh, there is this figure. And it, it seems very weird, like very pale, very veiny, and it's walking on its hind legs. Um, it does look like a human, but also not like a human at the same time. It's really bizarre. And it's quite hard to sort of see, you know, when you look at the whole picture. But when you zoom in into the figure, um, yeah, it is really weird. The, the sort of the, the being in it, it's just, it doesn't look human at all. It looks very strange. I mean, it has human form, but it's... It's just the texture of the skin. It's very veiny, very pale. It's just bizarre. And again, the temperature that night, as the person was saying, it was really cold. It was one or two degrees. So yeah, it was obviously quite chilly. So, it's, you know, human being to be walking around there completely naked is, is quite strange. So yeah, really, really bizarre. And I did start to kind of look into this forest and where there were other stories of high strangers. And there was a lot of stories to do with a murder as well, like the discovering of dead bodies uh, and, you know, that being a slight mystery, I don't no idea where there's a correlation between this being and, and this and these murders. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just purely speculating. But, yeah, it's just because I've moved back to this area of Chester 
and I've got more of my high stranger's head on these days. When I was a child, I wasn't really looking for these sort of things. I'm doing more exploration of the local area to sort of see what's around. And this could be an interesting place to kind of check out. And Ruthin is a place I used to go quite a lot as a child, as, as a big hotel there, Ruthin Castle. And we used to have these really amazing Sunday lunches there and stuff. So I've got quite fond memories of it as well. Uh, and interesting, this Ruffin Castle, I always found fascinating because it had a matrix of underground tunnels underneath the hotel. Uh, and then you're talking back in the 80s and the 90s when I used to go there, you could quite easily walk around these tunnels. There was no, you know, preventing you. You could take a torch as well and you could, and they would go really quite deep and they were quite scary. So it was only your own fear that would prevent you from going further, I think. Um, and I went back there quite a while ago, probably about 10 years ago. Uh, and obviously they blocked a lot of these tunnels off because I think for health and safety reasons these days, uh, they prevented people going in the actual tunnels themselves. But yeah, really strange, strange place. But yeah. Yeah, I just actually found the news story that I was alluding to. It was on the BBC News website discussing the dead body that was found in that same forest. And, and it goes, unknown body buried in Clockinoff Forest. Uh, sorry, I said that again. Yeah, unknown body buried in Clockinoff Forest since 2004. And that's on the BBC News, so you can kind of search for that. And it goes, the unknown remains were found in Clockinoff Forest in 2015 during a Wales GB rally stage. So... Yeah, no idea where there's any correlation between the two events, but yeah, I find it quite interesting. From one forest to another, um, yeah, Cannock Chase is an area I've never really heard of before, and it's in Staffordshire. It's just, you know, slightly outside, uh, north of Birmingham, apparently, and it's a place maybe I'm looking to visit. It's probably about 1.5 hours away from where I am at the moment, so it's not, you know, not too far to do like a day trip there. And yeah, as I sort of mentioned I guess like United Kingdom is weird because it was probably a lot of the time was completely covered in woodland and because it's quite an ancient country and has had a lot of human activity for so long and actually were quite densely populated for the size of the island. I mean, there's like 60 million people here. So yeah, it's a lot of the woodlands have been chopped down. So you get like small patches of it, but you don't... I remember going to America and Portland and it just had these vast forests which you could get properly lost in. And I almost did get lost and it was a little bit terrifying because in the UK, you just that's just not going to happen because, you know, the maximum you have to walk is an hour and you're probably going to come across someone's house or telephone pole or whatever. So there's always going to be signs of civilization. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's hard to find complete wilderness in this country. And, and this got me thinking, actually, because a lot of the time you hear about you know, Yetis and Bigfoots in places like Australia or America where they have these, or Canada, where they have these vast areas of like forest land, which goes on for days and you could walk it and get lost and not see anyone or see any human activity at all. And whether, you know, because they have these, these pure areas of like wilderness that you get sightings of Bigfoot and other high strangeness because it's more of a, a hidden ecosystem and whether in the UK, maybe you don't get that because you don't get that same vastness in woodlands. Maybe those energetic areas have been destroyed in some way. Um, but it does appear to be activity in some of these woodlands, even though they are quite small compared to other places as well. And uh, and Canuck Chase is one of the places. And yeah, sort of reading into it. I've only done some very cursory reading into it, but um, it's I was reading one blog and it's very dramatic. It was like. Um, believed to be a portal to another world and 
it seems to be you get areas of high strange quite well-known ones are skinwalker ranch and it's a kind of litany of different things going on at once it's poltergeist activity it's ufo activity it's dog men <laughs> so it's the kind of humanoid dog people werewolves with like bright red eyes you know these are some of the stories you hear and bigfoots obviously um, but in terms of like uh can it chase you're definitely getting ufo activity a lot of ghost activity as well apparently there's like a big stately home there it's got a lot of ghost activity specifically from some of the previous previous occupants of this place as well but also werewolves black dogs big black cats as well that's another sort of a, a, a regular story you get in energetic areas like this but more specifically for this one is, is the pig man which made me laugh um but yeah quite a few people have claimed to see person like a humanoid animal you know cryptid being with the body of a man but essentially the head of a pig uh, and there's a lot of weird mad folklore stories some kind of fictitious stories have been created around this kind of legend uh interestingly also there's a lot of military activity within this forest as well which again seems to strangely military bases again always seem to be in very energetic areas so if you go to like Wiltshire, obviously places like Stonehenge and in Avebury, you know, there's military bases all around there. Um, and Cannock Chase, there's Commonwealth cemeteries there. So there's a lot, there's a lot of cemeteries to do with war, which is weird. Uh, but actually there was also, I think it was an RAF base based there as well. And some people were perceiving actually the Pigman story was created by the military to prevent people from going into that forest, you know, to put people off, to kind of scare people away. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, but apparently the locals do laugh off of some of the stories, but they would never really go there at night because it is quite a spooky place as well. And you get a lot of modern stories to do with uh, children with black eyes and apparently children with black eyes have been seen in these forests as well. And again, this is a similar story that is repeated around the world in forests, but then also kind of black eyed children's coming to people's homes as well. So yeah, yeah, very strange but I would like to visit at some point. Going back to the world of books, a lot of what I've talked about on these various podcasts and some of the videos has been a lot to do with earth energies. You know, that's something that I've really, is you know, become quite fascinated by, you know, the planetary grid, ley lines, and how that affects the human body as well. Again, this relates to my own stories and the experience that I've had. Um, but I came, how did I come across this book? It's called The Vaxis Connection, Healing Through Earth Energies, and it's written by Judy Jacker. And as I said, she's passed away now, unfortunately. Um, can't remember if I first saw this. Oh, that was it. I was reading a blog because I was re doing research for another podcast that I'm going to release at some point. And this guy started talking about the Vaxis Connection, and it's something I've never really heard of before. And um, so it, it fascinated me. And I looked into potentially buying this book and it's one of those ones, it's out of print. And then when this happens, sometimes you can just basically put the title of the book in Google or whatever search engine and put PDF and then inevitably you'll find a PDF somewhere. But this book, I can't find a PDF for love nor money. It's just really hard to find anything. I mean, there are a website that report to have it, but yeah, that, that a lot of the time it's just a scam or it's fake. So I don't sign up for it. Uh, and then when you get the situation, sometimes you're going to Amazon, you can buy these books, maybe secondhand, but they're prohibitively expensive, like crazy expensive. 
And you're talking like a hundred to two hundred pounds uh, to to have to find these books, and you know you can get them in the UK or America. And I did initially try and purchase a copy for America. It was only sixty pounds, um, which would be about twenty quid, I think, postage and packaging as well. But then the seller actually said, "Oh, actually, I've I've, po- I've posted on the website. It's in good condition. It's not in good condition. It's it's falling apart. There's loads of notes everywhere." So yeah, I cancelled that order. Um, and then uh, this is the most expensive book I've ever bought. I managed to find it. Where was it? I think it's on eBay. Yeah, eBay, I bought it. It is coming from America, but again, it's going to be around about 70 quid, which is like literally the most expensive book I've ever bought. <laughs> and I don't think it's that thick either, so it better be good. <laughs> it better be a life-changing read because obviously I spent quite a lot of money buying it. Um, but I felt like I had to because... The description just sounds so fascinating. I read it now and it goes like this. The Vaxis is your life axis, your energy umbilical cord to the planet. It's the place where you plug into the earth and its life-supporting energies. Discovered by Canadian researcher Fran Nixon in the 1960s, the Vaxis connection is fundamental to human life and health. It sustains and renews us and affects every aspect of our lives. It even affects how we digest food and resist illness. This unsuspecting link between our body and a particular spot on the earth can make all the difference between health and illness, says Dr. Judy Jacker, the world's leading authority on the new science of Vaxis. For your Vaxis connection can be harmed, polluted or distorted. It can be damaged by chemicals, electromagnetic fields, even lightning. A disturbed Vaxis connection can make you ill but restored and vibrant. Your Vaxis connection can keep you healthy. In this groundbreaking book, Dr. Jacker presents more than two dozen easy-to-follow how-to exercises that will take you step-by-step through the science of Vaxis. You'll learn how to energise your Vaxis, heal it, work with it, and use it to improve almost every aspect of your life. You can even use it to improve the energy, health, and feel of your home or workplace. The discovery of the Vaxis connection is a crucial milestone in the field of alternative medicine, showing how energetic connections between the planet our bodies determine health and how natural therapies actually work. The Vaxis connection, it's your direct link to healing and energies of Earth. So this book is right up my alley. Um, yeah, it's come at a good time. Really can't wait for it to be delivered. Sounds really fascinating. For my own personal story, I was born in Chester. This is strangely where I'm at the moment. It's my childhood home. And I was just born down the road at the Countess of Chester Hospital. And so I guess my Vaxis connection would be located at the Countess of Chester Hospital on the on the uh, the baby ward there, wherever that is. Uh, yeah, I had a lot of sort of bad history of the sort of the, the hospital there because I was quite ill as a child and was in and out of there quite frequently, so I got quite bad memories of it. Um, so it's not like a, a entirely happy. Well, hospitals aren't happy places, are they? Really, it's a, it's a dichotomy, isn't it? Because the creation of life there and it also has you know a place where people go to die as well so it's just real duality to the whole experience and strangely i think my birth actually was quite i was quite resistant at coming out like i was in my mum was in labor for a long time like you know hours and hours and hours and then eventually i was dragged out with a pair of forceps from my mum and so violently apparently i grazed on the side of my head because they were forcing me out and this is a whole other topic, but it's the whole nature of like medicalized industrial childbirth and how 
like most things, it's just completely wrong of listening to some information or listening to some podcasts and how every aspect of it is completely wrong. It's just a traumatic experience for both the mum and the baby. And, you know, just the level of pain and discomfort that's involved in the whole process. You know, the medical middleman that's been inserted is just not needed at all. Um, but yeah, that's a whole other rant to kind of talk about. But yeah, really interesting because particularly in my own healing recently, I've been going out in the garden and just grounding myself. It's good to have a garden because when you're trying to ground outside in public and on, you know, walks, you can look a bit weird. You know, I try and hide myself away so people can't see. But I mean, people are going to get weirded out when they see some of their shoes and socks off stood there with their eyes closed they can be like what is that weirdo doing so having a garden well it's not actually really that private because there's like neighbors all around with like their windows overlooking the garden but i tried to strategically place myself in the garden twice a day for 10 minutes just to ground the energy i'm at a computer all day every day and just surrounded by and i think this is more information about how detrimental you know the electrical technology but then wi-fi is really bad for the human body so to sort of get rid of this quite dirty artificial energy out of our fields i think it's really important so i found grounding in the garden really helpful i mean it's not the most energetic areas in the world because you know it's just it's quite inner city for chester so there's a lot of uh, urban activity there's a lot of 5g lampposts around as well but it's something i you know it's quite a built-up area, but my parents have a reasonably sized garden, so it's quite good to be able to pick, take my shoes and socks off and just connect with the land. And I'm just drawing in the energy both from the land itself and then also into my crown of my head as well. And I've had some really powerful um, energetic experiences. So finding this book is really interesting just because of the work that I'm doing in terms of grounding, it's all like just kind of intuitive. I haven't read anything about this. I obviously know the benefits of grounding, but you know, the process I'm going through is just naturally that I've just come up with my own thinking. Um, but yeah, I'm in Chester, obviously the place of my birth. This book is all about your Vaxxus connection. So the umbilical cord would, for me, would be this area. So in terms of potential health, you know, and and my well-being, is that like another key to my health journey is, is, is healing this Vaxxus connection. So yeah, I'm really fascinated to read more about this. And Judy Jacker herself seems like a really interesting individual. As I mentioned, she's dead now. Uh, but she's written what I can see is like a various books. Um, another one I just bought recently, um, which was, wasn't too expensive, probably about £15, secondhand book again. You can't seem to buy any of her books new anymore. Uh, and this one's same topic, Healing Through Earth Energies. And it seems to contain, I don't know whether it's the precursor to the Vaxxus Connection or she wrote it afterwards. Um, but it contains more exercises and it seems to go really just having a cursory look through it like a flick flick through it quickly it seems to have lots of content in terms of um, the energetics of the body various kind of movements you can do to help heal when you're outside um, so yeah I'm really looking forward to reading that as well and what I uncover um, because I've done a, a lot of sort of spiritual work instead of movement like Qigong and that was, was another area, a period of time when I got really quite deep into that, you know, how certain movements, certain body positions can elicit certain energy responses, alchemy within the human body as well. And you get it with meditation, obviously more of a kind of a Hindu Indian thing where 
you know, the mudras and different hand, hand positions and finger positions break different effects in the human body. Um, I haven't done like loads of work to do that, but when I have done, it's been really fascinating just playing with that when I'm meditating, different finger positions, just seeing the benefits. And because I can kind of feel energy, I really feel the difference within my body. And it's been the same for a lot of, you know, Qigong. So more Southeast Asia, so you're talking about China, Taiwan, sort of Korea, like all of these kind of movement, spiritual practices, which is like mar- slightly martial arty based as well. Um, they all play with these ideas in terms of body movements and energy. And obviously their own kind of uh, spirituality has like Feng Shui as well, which is their own reading of the land and earth energies, etc. So, yeah, again, just all ties are all of these concepts together. So, again, just really looking forward to it. And it seems that she's actually more known for being a naturopath. And she has, she created an organization which is actually trying to create specific scientific data to do with natural healing modalities in terms of herbs and various other kind of flower remedies to help human health. So she sounds like a really interesting lady. She's written loads of books to do with that in terms of natural remedies, which I'll try and buy as well. Um, but yeah, just really interested to learn more about this lady. But once I've read these books and then, you know, learn more about her, I obviously will tell you about on this podcast or in a video. Um, yeah, but moving on from that. Now we're going to the Minerva Shrine in Chester. And uh, yeah, it's really fascinating kind of coming back to my hometown and just seeing everything through a different lens again. And so this is the Roman goddess of wisdom, justice, law, victory, poetry, medicine, commerce, art and crafts. So yeah, as I mentioned, she's got a really broad remit. She's pretty busy. Um, But yeah, it's, it's an area of like, Chester, which is it's called Hambridge. So it's the other side of the river. So it's the River Dee that goes through Chester. And it's outside of the Roman walls. And in fact, to go over the river, you immediately go into one of the old Roman kind of gateways. And and then there's always like a quite a funny law that if a Welshman is, is caught within the city walls after 8 p.m., technically you're allowed to kill them with a with a bow and arrow. This is a kind of law that's still apparently still exists to this day. Um, so yeah, this this Minerva statue is just outside of the Roman walls on the other side of the river in this very small park, um, which I've walked past a million times, but never actually really been in before. It's called Edgar's Field. So a few weeks ago, I made the the journey there to go and check it out because I'd never really been there before. And uh, I was doing a little bit of reading beforehand and apparently it's one of the only monuments of its kind in the entire of Europe. So bearing in mind, you know, how big the Roman Empire was. And there's a lot of Roman architecture still here in Chester. You get the amphitheatre and I think there's a Roman villa, like excavated Roman villa. You can see all the mosaics and the stone pillars and other aspects of the archaeology spread around around the city you can kind of check out. And obviously it's the Roman walls. A lot of it's been, you know, repaired and some of the original aspects of it kind of disappeared over the years as it's been kind of changed a little bit. But you know, for the most part, it's all kind of pretty much Roman. And so, but you have this like park and it's got a small children's playground there as well. And it's right next to the river and it connects with a pathway there. But you have this huge, because the local geology in Chester is all sandstone. So a lot of the, you know, Roman archaeology and the buildings were made out of sandstone, including the Roman walls. So it's actually quite a soft stone as well. So I think it erodes quite easily due to water damage. 
So you have this huge, it's unusual because it's not very rocky around Chester as a whole, but you have this huge bit of sandstone that just kind of comes out of the park. Um, and you can walk on the top, it's quite large, probably about, you can stand on the top, it's probably about the height of a sort of adult male, maybe, roughly, yeah, 10 feet high, maybe. Maybe that's a little bit too much. But anyway, on the side of it, there's a statue that was carved in the on the sort of side of the of this rock outcrop. Um, and there's been a- aspects added to it. There's like a 19th century stone surround that's been added around the side of it. And there's also a strange kind of little small cave and it's got a, a, a metal gate preventing you from going in there, which I don't know what that's about. Um, but I was reading apparently, because it's right next to this Roman road, and the Roman road sort of then obviously came into the, the city of Chester itself. And so people would go to this Minerva statue to essentially give blessings, and then try and get good luck. Because that area outside of the Chester walls was apparently a little bit hairy in terms of the natural elements. Like the river back then was a lot less tame than it is now because we have a thing called a weir now, which regulates the water flow of water quite significantly. But back there, like the water was a lot more, you know, vigorous. And also you had human activity in terms of, I don't know what you call them, like highwaymen or just general criminality, which would try and steal and plunder off you and maybe kill you. So it was a bit of a hairy spot. So the theory was that people would there go to the statue to kind of try and get good luck and protection and all the rest of it. But whilst I was there, I mean, I wasn't expecting this. I really started to feel the energy coming through my legs. And uh, at the time I didn't, I just, I remember going, oh, that's strange. Like it's got loads of pins and needles in my legs. It's, you know, like, that's weird. And then looking back, like the next day, I was like, oh yeah, maybe that area is more energetic than I thought. Um, and then again, it's like, has this statue and this constant prayer and and people giving reverence and the human energy created like a particular earth energy there. It's become like some kind of no point or was it always there? And they basically, they understood this was an energetic point and then they placed the statue there on purpose because it was an energetic area. Um, and then who knows whether how far that goes back was that more of a Roman thing or has it come before that was it more of a pagan thing where the Romans were like oh these these strange pagans have this place as a place of worship but we're going to put our own god there so you know maybe there was something even before that and that's an interesting thing about Roman roads that I read about that we always say that our Roman roads are always straight they created it but some people have questioned that and go, actually, are the Romans just copying what's already there? That these straight roads predate them, like these straight roads existed way before the Roman Empire ever arrived. And all they did was reutilize these roads and just rebuild them. So at some point, I'd quite like to go back, maybe some dowsing rods. I mean, it's quite a busy area. So I've got to try and pick the time that I go there and don't look too crazy, like some mad guy with his shoes and socks off with two coat hangers trying to like read the energy. So yeah, try, try go back there at some point and try and figure out some what's going on. Now, looking at more video content, and this was from Megalithomania UK. You can see their YouTube channel. Again, I'll leave the, the link in the description. Um, but one of the first videos I saw, it's one of the first videos I've ever seen for Megalithomania, and it was by Hamish Miller. And because of this, I've actually ended up buying one of these books. He's got like a small dowsing book you can buy. And he's the co-author of a classic book that I haven't read yet, which I would like to. It's called The Sun and the Serpent, and he wrote, wrote it in conjunction with Paul Broadhurst. Now, this video was, was filmed in 2009. I think Hamish Miller sadly died shortly after this, maybe the year after. 
Um, but it was at a Fountain International conference. And again, as I stated at the beginning of the podcast, this is a Brighton um, organization originally started in Brighton and then seemed to spread around the world. And yeah, I mean, a brief history of him. He's quite a prolific dowser. Um, and he's spoken a lot about dowsing and popularized the whole idea of the St. Michael's and Mary energy lines, which, you know, stretch from the south of England and, you know, and encompass areas like Avebury and and Stonehenge all the way across the United Kingdom. You get these sacred spots that kind of coincide with these energy lines and St. Michael being the male energy line and St. Mary being the female energy line. And when they intersect, they kind of weave in and out of each other like a serpent. That's what, you know, Avebury is, you know, so that you get these feminine and male energy lines kind of converging but other areas they kind of split more apart but they still sort of follow the same path but they're less close together and in this video he isn't really isn't really talking about dowsing too much he's more sort of reading mean, i found this interesting because it's like 2009 so it's you know we're getting on to nearly 15 years ago now and he's starting to talk about technocratic technocratic takeover of our society and he's going into very deep detail in terms of like, you know, taking over the and centralization of our food supply, farming, medical system. And I just found it really prophetic and just quite sad because these are concepts that are kind of rolling out now due to the IMF or the WHO or the WEF. You know, all these big global organizations, shadowy organizations seem to be spearheading this real land grab. And this is happening at the moment. We're having farming protests happening all over the world. Stuff is starting to happen in the UK, like the Welsh farmers apparently recently started to meet. French farmers have protested. The original ones, I think, were probably the Dutch farmers. They really started to close roads down and, and cause a lot of disruption uh, in Germany as well. I think it's even happening as far as like Sri Lanka, I've heard as well. So it's a general repeated pattern all over the world that this is occurring. But the media is not reporting it. And if they are reporting it, they're giving very slanted um, negative stories and they're starting to talk about all oh, right of taking it over blah 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 just trying to put people off the whole idea and then just de-amplifying the whole issue as well and the fact that it just seems to be a very technocratic takeover happening now of the food supply i mean you can really say the medical system is very much being centralized particularly in the united kingdom and america i mean it's just gone I mean, it says no doctors have no real autonomy anymore they have to really kind of follow you know, healing methods that are prescribed by, you know, pharmaceutical companies. There's no real autonomy in how they, they, they deal with people's conditions these days. And, you know, the money system that's been centralized for a very, very long time, has it ever really been decentralized? No. Uh, and I think a unique thing about farming, a lot of the time farmers have tended to be family businesses. And I think we're at that pivotal point where that's now going to change, where they're really trying to push out local farm and mum and pop sort of farming industry and just it'd be huge organizations that kind of look after the food supply so a complete centralization of, of this, this this whole system so again i just found it really sad that what he's discussing in this video seems to be rolling out now but you know very prophetic he obviously had a real knowledge of what was going to happen in the future so i just found it a really fascinating video to to, to listen to then moving on to the next one, um, this is Robin Heath, yes, and he had a video called The Royal Family, Secret Rulers and Ancient Patterns on the Landscape. Um, 
yeah, and he it's all surrounded a lot to time to do with like the Queen's death, which happened a few years ago, and then the coronation, obviously, of Prince Charles, and how it all seemed to follow a very specific path, very much energetic path. Like Prince Charles travelled from Balmoral to Gar- to Cardiff to relinquish his title, and he gave it to his son, obviously William. And it was in front of the Car- Cardiff Castle Mount, so it was an actual ceremony. I didn't realise of him relinquishing his title. Um, and then Robin Heath, this is quite a recent video. I can't remember the exact year, so it must have been quite recent. Obviously, he's talking about the death of the Queen, etc., and the coronation of the King. Um, but yeah, he did a lot of work. He was looking at the political centres of the United Kingdom. So you got London, obviously being England, and the political centre for Scotland is Edinburgh, and then vice versa for Wales, it's Cardiff. And he started to measure the distances between them. And what he noticed when he you used like a megalithic yard, which is a for, completely forgotten about um, type of measurement. Um, I think it's a little bit frowned upon by mainstream archaeology. Um, but he says that if you use megalithic yards, or you in terms of the distances, you're getting whole numbers. And so he was saying, and it, uh, this megalithic yard apparently was discovered by a guy called Alexander Them in 1955, I think. Uh, but yeah, the measurements that Robin Heath was um, taking, that he discovered that between, uh, let me look, yeah, between Cardiff and London, it was 250,000 megalithic miles, sorry, megalithic yards. And then between Edinburgh and Cardiff, it was 600,000 yards. And then between London and Edinburgh, it was 650,000 megaliths yards. So these are whole numbers, you know, so this is like that doesn't happen naturally. You, you expect these maybe power centres to kind of naturally develop. And, but it's just very, very strange that you're getting whole numbers with these megalithic yards. But if you actually draw it out, you know, drawing London to Edinburgh and Edinburgh to, to Cardiff, it creates a triangle. And this triangle, for using the megalithic yards, has a ratio of 12, 13 and 5. And he discovered that this same ratio of triangle is found in other power centres within the United Kingdom. And then this same ratio of triangle also connects Stonehenge with the Isle of Lundy and Preseli, which is where the Stonehenge blue stone was found. It had exactly the same size triangle, well not the same size triangle, but it used the same ratio of 12, 13, 5. He doesn't know why, but he's just all he's doing is just basically conveying he's, he's discovered as a correlation between the two things. So he talks about that in the video, and that's, that was really interesting. But then he starts to talk about the Queen in terms of when she died, there was actually a, a coffin procession, and it followed a very energetic path. It went from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Palace, and then Westminster Al- Al- Abbey, and then Windsor Castle. And it, this is apparently an energetic line passes through all of these points and it goes all the way to Cardiff Castle Mound and Chiswick House and even Battersea Power Station. It's all on the same line. And even weirdly, the Heathrow, one of the main Heathrow uh, runways, runs in exactly the same energy line as well. I'd never heard of this before, but the Queen's procession went down that line. So again, obviously some kind of hidden knowledge is known. People talk about do the royal family or members of the royal family know more than they're letting on? Uh, is there more to these ceremonies, more to the positioning of these processions than we realise? So yeah, 
big mystery. No real explanations, but it's just interesting to look at. Now, the final thing I want to talk about, um, this is the book, The Devil and Us. It's by Bruce McDonald. Um, and this relates to a video that I was watching, listening to uh, with Carleen Tamek, so her channel, YouTube channel, and Bruce McDonald again is the author. Uh, and the title of the video is Getting Out of the Assimilation. And so, yeah, they mostly just talked about their own experiences, but it was all heavily encoded with the book that he'd recently written and his own spiritual journey. Um, and yeah, it is a quite a dark topic because it starts to sort of look at our reality with quite, um, yeah, it's a, it creates a bit of fear. Um, but yeah, I think it's still important to kind of look at these areas. Um, but it, it tends to explain a lot. You know, if you look at the world at the moment, especially the amount of war, the amount of like, you know, like we were talking about before with the farming, centralised control, this kind of force that seems to be very anti-human, very totalitarian force is like being rolled out at the moment. And um, he very much talks about, you know, demonology, curses, the devil, and how some people, like especially in positions of power, have been taken over by this kind of force. And it's just, they're being propelled to break this, this, this quite dystopian reality. You know, there's something that's kind of taken over and they're just doing these things, maybe completely unconsciously. Bruce was, was discussing the divinity of nature and, and natural principles and being with God. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but there's a lot of spiritual wisdom with some of these religious stories, which I really resonate with. And I think that's right. There's a real push away from trying to sever the connection between humanity and the earth and nature. And it's creating disharmony. It's creating illness. It's creating depression. And I think it's done on purpose because obviously it's just dividing people and it's making them more and more controllable. And we're being forced into like a really artificial system. And yeah, you can look at it as a satanic force in a way. And it's just moving people away from those natural principles, the divine, the God, you know, they're being manipulated potentially. Um, so again, yeah, I'm just discussing... It's quite a dark topic, but I think it's important because obviously the world is getting quite fruity at the moment. And these are things that I think about quite a lot in my own head, you know, just the craziness of the world and how much of that is a manipulation. It's not really from a human mind. There's something else going on that we don't quite understand. But Bruce went on to discuss how he used to live in America and had a very commercial job in terms of writing for various companies like copywriter. Um, but he would always on the side write his real interest was a kind of high strangeness and spirituality. So it's very much rooted in his own experiences and interests. I think he's written a few. One of them I, I know was like a to do with Skinwalker Ranch. And this one um, is, is more of a recent publication. But he does say when people have read this book, it seems to initiate some kind of healing and they also experience some very high strangeness. They, yeah, something strange happens to them. So yeah, watch this space. I'll let you know something crazy happens after I've read this book. Um, but yeah, he's he now lives in Costa Rica. He's not completely off grid, but he's living deep in the jungle somewhere. And so he's able to extract himself out of that Western system. So he's less beholden to money and, you know, that kind of rat race, having to sort of earn enough to kind of pay your bills, pay your rent, pay your mortgage, whatever. He's kind of out of that system now. So yeah, it was... That was really inspiring to listen to. I'll leave also the link to this video in the description so you can watch that at your, your pleasure. But I think that about wraps it up. I've 
covered everything I want to. Um, this has been great. It's been a nice little change, um, a bit more free form in terms of the way I'm sort of discussing ideas. Um, it's, I always find it fascinating how these things all kind of interlink as you go on your journey, you get all these connections and you get these bubbles of information that all relate to each other. So yeah, definitely over these last few weeks, that's been happening a lot. Um, so thanks so much for joining me. Um, you can catch this podcast on all major podcast platforms. It's also on SoundCloud as well. In terms of videos, I'm on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, and there's my website, reconsidersimon.com. Thanks again. Have a good day, night, or evening, wherever you are. Cheers. Bye.